Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do great work. You can find out more and give them a call. The, the website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have great guests for today's show, including Mark Schulman. Mark is the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. As we normally do on Monday mornings, we'll talk about current global events. And, of course, there's a lot going on in Ukraine, Russia. There's so many out stories about uh, what's happening right now. We'll look forward to catching up with Mark on that. Larry Reed is the president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. We're talking about an interesting guy in history, Carter Woodson. Maybe you never heard of him, but uh, he inspired Black History Month. And Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief, will be joining us as well. It is February the 28th. Can you believe the end of February already? And on this day in 1953, Cambridge University scientists James D. Watson and Francis H.C. Crick announced that they had determined the double helix structure of DNA, the molecule containing human genes. The molecular biologists were aided significantly by the work of another DNA researcher, Rosalind Franklin, although she was not included in the announcement, nor did she share the subsequent Nobel Peace Prize awarded for it. Well, it wasn't a Peace Prize, but they received the Nobel Prize. Though DNA was discovered in 1869, its crucial role in determining genetic inheritance wasn't demonstrated until 1943. In the early 50s, Watson and Crick were only two of many scientists working on figuring out the structure of DNA. California chemist Linus Pauling suggested an incorrect model at the beginning of 1953, prompting Watson and Crick to try and beat Pauling at his own game. On the morning of February the 28th, they determined the structure of DNA, DNA was a double helix polymer or a spiral of two DNA strands, each containing a long chain of mon- monomer nucleotides uh, wound around each other. According to their findings, DNA replicated itself by separating into separate strands, each of which became the template for a new double helix. In his best-selling book, The Double Helix, uh, in 1968, Watson later claimed that Crick announced the discovery by walking into a nearby Eagle pub and blurting out that we have found the secret of life. The truth wasn't far off, as Watson and Crick had solved the fundamental mystery of science, how it was possible for genetic instructions to be held inside organisms and passed from generation to generation. Watson Crick's solution was formally announced on April the 25th, 1953, following its publication in that month's na- issue of Nature magazine. The article revolutionized the state of biology and medicine. Among the developments that followed directly from it were prenatal screening for disease genes, genetically engineered foods, the ability to identify human remains, the rational design of treatment for diseases such as AIDS, and the accurate testing of physical evidence in order to convict or exonerate uh, criminals. Crick and Watson later had been falling out over Watson's book, which Crick felt misrepresented their collaboration and betrayed their friendship. A larger controversy arose over the use of what Watson and Crick made of the work done by another DNA researcher, of course, Rosalyn Franklin. Colleague Maurice Wilkins showed Watson and Crick's Franklin's X-ray photographic work of Watson to Watson just before he and Crick made their famous discovery. 
the imagery established that DNA molecule existed in helical form. When Crick and Watson won the Nobel Prize in 1962, they shared it with Wilkins, Franklin, who died in 1953 of ovarian cancer and was thus ineligible for the award, never learned of her role uh, from the photos and the roles their photos played in the historic scientific breakthrough. Such an interesting story. Many scientific advances since that time. We've certainly built on that. Well, President Trump was on fire at CPAC this weekend. I don't know if you watched any of it, but we certainly did. And uh, one of the highlights was watching Trump's speech. He was gave a one-hour, 25-minute speech that, in my opinion, preempted Biden's State of the Union speech tomorrow night. Uh, here's just a few of the highlights. Using a World War II phrase as Russia is testing NATO in Europe, former President Trump said that sleeping giant conservative MAGA movement has awoken. A major war in Europe may very well erupt. That's how they start exactly what's happening today. This is how they start, Trump said. Biden has turned calm into chaos, competence into incompetence, stability into anarchy, and security into catastrophe. The Russian attack on Ukraine is appalling. It's an outrage, an atrocity that should never have been allowed to occur. It would never have occurred under his watch. We are praying for the proud people of Ukraine. God bless them all, he said. Trump took direct aim at his predecessors for allowing Russia's uh, Vladimir Putin to invade other countries. As everyone understands, this horrific disaster would never have happened if, if the, our election was not rigged and if I was the president, he continued. Very simple. I wouldn't have happened under Bush. Russia invaded Georgia under Obama. Russia invaded uh, Crimea under Biden. Russia invades Ukraine. I stand as the only president of the 21st century on whose watch Russia did not invade another country. Despite leftists claiming uh, Trump had praised Putin to, to a fault, Trump reminded the crowd he gave lethal aid to Ukraine. I gave Ukraine the javelins that everyone is now talking about and millions of dollars of other military equipment. The Obama administration gave them blankets, he said. Reporters asked me if I thought uh, President Putin was smart. I said, of course he's smart, to which I was greeted with, ah, that's such a terrible thing to say. Trump added he's saying Putin is merely outsmarting uh, Biden, our dumb leaders, and our world leaders, uh, NATO nations, and indeed the world as he looks over what's happening strategically with no repercussions or threats whatsoever, Trump continued. That's not so smart. They're looking the opposite of smart. If you take over Ukraine, we're going to sanction you. They say, sanction? Well, that's a pretty weak statement, Putin is saying. Oh, they're going to sanction me. They're sanctioning me for the last 25 years. You mean I can take over the country and they're going to just sanction me? You mean they're going to, not going to blow us up to pieces, he said? The problem is not that Putin is smart, which of course he is, but that our leaders are dumb. They've so far allowed him to get away with travesty and assault on humanity. Putin is playing Biden like a drum. And it's not a pretty thing to watch, and it would have been so easy for me to stop the travesty from happening. Trump also took on the Democrats. I, you know, you may not like this plain type of speaking that Trump just calls it like he sees it, which I really appreciate. And I'm sure that when he speaks to world leaders and said, you know, I wouldn't do that if I were you because I'm going to blow up Moscow if you do. <laughs> they don't know what to think of that, but they, I'm sure they take, they pause and think, you know, maybe he would do that. So Trump basically commanded a lot of respect, maybe not friendship, but a lot of respect from world leaders. He went on about Democrats. He said, socialists, globalists, Marxists, and communists who are attacking our civilization have no idea of the sleeping giant they have awoken. 
We are a sleeping giant. They cannot even begin to imagine the brave and righteous spirit they've unleashed in men and women. Trump began with a stark message for Democrats before the 22, uh, 22 midterms. The radical left is exposed. They're weak and their pathetic policies of being out there long enough now that we don't want them and we will never take them, Trump told the crowd. We are bringing back our country and we're bringing back our freedom, he said. Trump called Democrats the worst opponents ever faced while praising Ukraine President uh, Zelensky. The worst are politicians, he said, the toughest are politicians, the meanest are politicians, and the biggest lying scum of are the politicians like Adam Shifty Schiff. <laughs> where, where do you meet people like this, he said. He's actually made up a story about my phone call with the president of Ukraine, who, by the way, is a brave man. He's hanging in. President Trump uh, praised the office of the presidency while rebuking President Joseph Biden for embarrassing the U.S. on the world stage. This year, we're being vividly reminded of how fragile, fragile and precious the heritage really is, Trump said. I never knew how important being president was. U.S. self-confidence is lost under Biden, Trump lamented. You couldn't take the five worst presidents in the United States history and put them together, and they would not have done the damage that Joe Biden and his administration have done in just 13 short months. And no matter how you look at it, our country has been totally lost its self-confidence. We lost its self-confidence. We are, as a country, we have no more self-confidence. We will be back, and we'll get, to, uh, get back stronger than we ever were before, said uh, President Trump. It's a great speech. Hour and 25 minutes. Just really enjoyed it. But there's so many other good speakers at CPAC as well. If you have an opportunity, I think it's probably uh, uh, they're saved on uh, Fox Nation, if you ever look at that. But uh, certainly we're, we're all worth, I'm sure if you Google the speech, you'll find at least snippets of it. It's well worth uh, watching. Well, some 59% of attendees at CPAC Conservative Conference in Florida want former President President Donald Trump to be the party's 2024 presidential candidate, according to his straw poll. According to the unparalleled sway Trump enjoys over the Republican base, his closest rival, Ron DeSantis, garnered 28% of the votes. Uh, CPAC uh, tends to draw, of course, more conservative wing of the Republican Party, and its polls are not necessarily a reliable predictor. Ted Cruz, if you recall, was, for example, beat out rivals in 2016 for the nomination. Last year in Orlando, Trump reportedly garnered 55% of the votes, which was twice as many as DeSantis. Trump has yet to say whether he will run in 2024, although he had heavily hinted that he will and already has important force among ahead in the November's congressional elections. In a straw poll question that omitted Trump, DeSantis garnered the most votes at 61%. Uh, many CPAC attendees said DeSantis, who's, of course, 43-year-old former lawyer and with three children and a wife who's been treating uh, breast cancer, could easily wait and run for president in 2028. DeSantis, we'd like to keep him as governor here. I want Trump to run and win, said CPAC attendee Tom Freeman, who works as a retail company in uh, Florida. Uh, so it was a great and very successful conference with great information and great speakers. Again, if you have a chance to take a look at it, I encourage you to do so. Well, we're going to take a look at uh, Russia and Ukraine, and we're going to do mainly with, uh, with uh, Mark Shulman. But did you know that we're still buying oil from Russia and sending them wires, wiring money to Russia for uh, our energy supply? It's just really unbelievable that uh, that could be going on right now. But it, but it is, and we have the world's greatest supply 
and reserves of oil and energy in our environment than any other country in the world, and yet uh, we're buying oil from Russia. You can't make this stuff up. So it's just unbelievable. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show and the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252 252- 4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new, refreshing social networking platform, and I hope you'll check it out. You can download the app by visiting the website, choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Right now we have with us Mark Schulman. Mark is the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. 
Com. It's a multimedia website, good for kids of all ages, really good. Check it out, HistoryCentral.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Always a pleasure, Bob. So, Mark, uh, as usual, we'll be talking about current global events up to the minute and what's happening. And, of course, we have the fog of war right now with so much controversy. The, the opinions and points of view of people on the news right now are so disparate. I really look forward to this conversation. So let me just give you that open question of what's what do you think? Okay, so right now we're in a situation where the Ukrainians have been fighting unbelievably well and the Russians have been fighting unbelievably poorly. Hmm. Uh, relatively speaking, the Russians have had tremendous losses. It doesn't mean they're going to lose, mind you, but they've had tremendous losses. Mm -hmm. uh, they have not achieved any of their major goals. Um, to this point. They have not managed to seize any of the major Ukrainian cities, um, and they've done some really, really stupid things. You know, for instance, their attempt at a, uh, an airborne assault at the airport outside of Kiev on the first day of the war, where their whole, where their whole unit was completely wiped out, and this is happening time and time again. Hmm. Uh, so we're seeing to a very large extent that uh, something that I believe for a long time, that Russia is, a, to some extent, a paper tiger. Uh, they've spent money and tried to improve their military post-Cold uh, War but the, and during the Putin's time, but they really haven't succeeded um, in the ways of, of modern warfare because they're not, they're not playing this game that way. They seem to have a very limited amount of, uh, of um, smart ammunitions, um, they seem to have very little ability to maintain. The fact that they have not managed to gain total control of the sky uh, says a tremendous amount since their air force is 10 times the size of the Ukrainian air force. All right. So, Mark, um, just to be you, this is uh, certainly uh, not a strength of mind to understand the, the uh, vagaries of war and what's happening right now. But uh, one thing for sure is I'm rooting for Zelensky and the Ukrainians and uh, just to hope that they have the resolve. They seem to have the resolve to fight. I wonder what the motivation might be of the uh, Russian troops. So they're out there fighting because they get, get a paycheck. Can't be they're not even doing that. They didn't even know what. Most of them are uh, compulsory service who serve for one year. They didn't even know they were going into Ukraine. Hmm. You know, that's, you know one, when, you do any, when you do the equation of who's going to win a battle, Besides the things you can't control, that you know, chance and everything else, you look at one side's total troops and equipment and everything else versus the other, and then you multiply it by motivation to fight. And in this case, you have a motivation that's tremendously high on the Ukrainian side. Right. I mean, we see the Ukrainians on every level of society uh, rallying around the country to throw out the invading Russians. The Russians have no real reason to be there. I mean, this whole thing was one made-up plan, one set of circumstances, complete lies in totality from the very beginning um, by Putin. Um, and, you know, sometimes you can maintain that lie. You know, Goebbels' view is you say a lie enough times, people actually believe it. Yeah. So, so, uh, so uh, you're, you're, of course, they, they are outmanned in terms of, well, of equipment, in terms of uh, resources and so forth. And uh, uh, Zelensky's been asking for and, and getting a response, actually, from uh, countries around the world for more resources to uh, fight this thing. But uh, do you think he has a chance? I think he has a very good chance. And I think, look, um, the... Zelensky is getting the help he needs at this point. It took a little while. Uh, quite honestly, the United States has done an excellent job of, in this case, leading from behind in the sense of getting all of the Europeans together, um, not getting out ahead of them, but basically pushing them. And at this point, 
the changes that have taken place in the last 48 hours in Europe are something hard to believe. The speech yesterday given by the German uh, prime minister is something that no one would ever thought was going to happen. He announced a tremendous increase in German defense spending immediately and long term, going above the 2% annually that NATO has been asking for. Um, and he said that they're going to exceed it um, year after year. This is a tremendous increase uh, in nominal terms, uh, moving to 2% of the uh, GDP of uh, Germany. Basically, they'll be outspending the Soviet, the Russia, excuse me, in defense spending. It's nominal terms, so it's not, you know, it's not, it's not exact, obviously. Yeah, so, so um, one, one concern, Mark, is uh, the, the report. I think that Marco Rubio may have uh, initiated this. Uh, but saying that uh, Trump, uh, that uh, by, uh, Putin is quote unquote different, uh, he seems different in terms of an, and uh, kind of referring to his mental stability or emotional stability, and also the whole notion of putting uh, the country on high nuclear alert. Could you comment? Yes, first of all, I, I agree. He's unstable. There's no question. Someone who's stable doesn't make the decisions he's made. Mm. He's a very dangerous uh, person <laughs> at this point. Someone said yesterday, which I think is correct. We all worried what would happen if he succeeds. We should worry about what happens if he fails. Yeah. You know, a cornered animal is the most dangerous. Right. I also tell you, I had a, the most disturbing conversation uh, Saturday. I was on the air on a panel discussion, and this was actually um, in Arabic, although I was not speaking Arabic. It was Arabic TV in, in tele, from Tel Aviv. And one of the panelists was speaking from Moscow. Um, and leaving aside the fact that throughout he, you know, the complete Putin line all the way through, it's all caused because of genocide against the Russian speakers in Ukraine, that the country's run by Nazis, all the lines and lies that we've heard from Putin the last two weeks. But he said beyond that, he said, if NATO doesn't agree to Putin's demands relating to pulling back from Eastern Europe, etc., then we're going to have World War III. That was a very, very chilling moment, to be honest with you, because, you know, Putin doesn't seem to doesn't seem uh, to make threats without planning to go through with them. Let's put it that way. Yeah. So so uh, Putin's uh, there's going to be a meeting on the border of Belarus, I guess it is, and without preconditions. It's taking place right now as we speak. Yeah. Um, there is not a great expectation of success if Putin wants to wants a way out of this. Um, he can basically agree to some statement by by um, Ukraine that it will maintain neutrality as long as the Russian troops pull out. That would be his way of climbing down the tree. I don't think he'll take it, mm -hmm. uh, but that's the only way we're going to end this thing in a in a positive way. Let's put it that way. So how do the uh, how are the Russian people responding to this? So what's their appetite for for what's going on? Well, they've been demonstrating, even though demonstrations almost guarantee arrests. So a small but not in, not that small a group of people have been demonstrating every single day, different groups of people all throughout the country. Mm -hmm. They don't really know a lot of what's going on because the Russian media just completely lies. Uh, there's like no truth whatsoever to what they're saying. So they've done their best to keep it from them. But, you know, what's been going on is the um, Ukrainians, every time they capture a Russian soldier... They give him a cell phone and say, call home, tell him where you are. Um, and um, so the, new, the news is slowly sleeping, uh, seeping out. Mm -hmm. um, look, for the Russian people, this is going to be terrible. I mean, think about it for a second. 
they were lower middle class. Some of them were doing well. And forget about the oligarchs who did tremendously well by robbing the country uh, of all its resources. But at the moment, they can't fly anywhere. Uh, most all of the routes that Aeroflot had taken has now been suspended because every country in Europe has now denied um, airspace to Russian aircraft. Uh, their aircraft of Aeroflot and the other uh, Russian carriers, I think, already declared bankruptcy today, uh, will all disappear because they're all leased, and the leasing companies have to pull back all of, all of their planes. Hmm. Uh, you're going to be in a situation where, of course, um, the stock market in Russia was forced to close today. The ruble has fallen. Interest rates have risen to 20% to try to maintain some um, some bank deposits so there's not a tremendous run on the banks. Um, it's going to be a disaster for Russia. Yeah, I mean, I they're... Don't think they're Putin uh... understood what he was going to, what he was doing. I think he misjudged the West. He misjudged Biden. He misjudged how much crossing this line uh, would alarm uh, the rest of the world. And, you know, we have never seen anything like it. Everyone was poo-pooed NATO, poo-pooed the EU. The action they've taken in the last 48 hours is quite astounding. Yeah, so the big critic critique, I should also point out that the credit rating of Russia has been lowered to junk right now, so uh, that's going to make it, money is going to cost more at a time where they probably don't need that. So you're suggesting sanctions are working, and yet the big uh, complaint and observation is that right now we're not doing anything with regard to their oil uh, business or our wheat business in terms of uh, uh, sanctioning that. Any decision like this, you have to sort of look at both sides of it. How much do you want to hurt yourself and how much do you want to hurt the other side? Mm -hmm. And right now we can't afford to, to really hit their energy sector because of the dependence of so much of Europe on, on uh, Russian oil, not to mention the markets as a whole. If you were to take out another 15 or 20% of the available oil in the world markets, uh, who knows what the price of energy would go to. But again, the, the other sanctions are so, so strong mm. um, that I don't think it's really, you know, let's see how much all the other, other sanctions work, let's put it that way. Um, I think criticizing, I mean, when you look at what's happened, do you realize that last night the EU approved um, providing arms, including aircraft, mm-hmm. fighter aircraft, to the, to the Ukrainians? And it took place overnight because the, the Poles, the... Uh, Macedonians, the three, three countries had aircraft that the Ukrainians know how to fly. And somehow in the overnight, the Ukrainian Air Force got new planes, additional planes. Hmm. Uh, so, you know, everything short of intervening is taking place. Yeah. Uh, and no one really wants to intervene because we really don't want World War Three. So taking a step back from this conversation, Mark, it's, uh, this is very encouraging, your point of view with regard to the Ukrainians. I mean, I think Zelensky's... I mean, they still could lose, don't get me wrong. I understand that, you know, you're talking about, you know, yeah. they're still isolated and less in terms of numbers, but... I don't think so. Well, the, the, uh, it seems to, that, first of all, the, the world is behind Ukraine and Zelensky. Zelensky's just demonstrated amazing leadership under the circumstances. And I think it's really rallied a lot of uh, heartfelt support uh, for what he's doing. Oh, absolutely. He's been, a, you know, he's the number one leader in the world at the moment. There's no, yeah. no question about it. He's shown personal, uh, personal bravery and his personal bravery, he now has a 90% approval rating inside of Ukraine. Yeah. Um, so, 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Standing up to the Russians, leading his people as best as he can, managing to influence the Europeans, the rest of the world. I mean, think about it. Switzerland. Yeah. Switzerland is talking about seizing Russian bank accounts. Yeah. I mean, they didn't do that to the Nazis. No, right. It's, uh, it's just amazing. It really is. The uh, no-flies, uh, the uh, uh, not flying over different countries, Canada's invoked that. Uh, most of the countries in Europe have invoked it. United States hasn't for some reason. Any comment on that? I'm not sure why. I'm sure it will It will soon enough. I'm, I'm not really totally sure. It doesn't make any difference because it's almost impossible to get to the United States with all these other countries creating no-fly zones. Yeah. So I'm not really sure. Um there may be a reason there to get Americans out of Russia, I think, part of the issue. Is, don't forget, the State Department has issued an urgent uh, appeal of all Americans in Russia to leave immediately. Good point. So of the Europeans. So you may want to leave one exit point uh, for a little while in order to get people out. Yeah, I was, I was imagining to myself exactly how could people or how could Russia bypass this. And they, yeah, I think they could fly over the polar ice cap. Uh, uh, North Pole and uh, come down the uh, west coast of the United States and fly in that way if, it, if they chose to. Yeah, very difficult, though, to avoid Canadian airspace. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's so interesting. Very, very difficult. And um, I'm not sure the planes have the have quite the capacity. All right, so uh, let's take a step back. What about the relationship between China and Russia right now? It seems like uh, Putin has kind of isolated himself here on the world stage. Uh, how's that relationship going? Look, it's a mixed situation. On one hand, I think the Chinese appreciate the Russians creating problems for the United States. I mean, you know, any uh, enemy of my enemy is my friend, and the Chinese look upon us at least as rivals. I'm not quite sure as enemies, but clear rivals. Mm -hmm. But the other side of this is twofold, actually even threefold. Number one, the China has always been very much against um, stop um, involving themselves, involving the territorial integrity of another country. In other words, they consider that sacrosanct. They always have. Mm -hmm. They consider Taiwan part of theirs, so they don't look upon Taiwan as part of that. But they recognize Ukraine as an independent country. So that's problem number one for the Chinese. Mm -hmm. Problem number two, they've invested a lot of money in Ukraine, and they don't want to see it go down the drain. But problem number three, and the biggest point, is that the Chinese think that their rivalry with the United States, they will win that rivalry on economic terms. Mm-hmm. And they'll also win that rivalry because the West will be divided. What Putin has done has been is two things. First of all, he's upset the international economic order, which is not good for anybody, but it's also not good for China. China wants a you know a quiet worldwide economy where it can win because they think there are better you know better players than that. Number two, what has Putin managed to do? He's managed to unify the West in ways that we haven't seen since the end of the Cold War, maybe even before. And so uh, none of that is good for the Chinese and good for where they want uh, the direction to go. You know, look, if Germany starts spending the kind of money we're talking about on defense, um, you know, America can send less troops possibly or less equipment to Europe and more to, the, to Asia. Hmm. So, so quite uh, frankly, if, hmm? you know, just the, uh, the, the some points of view that I've heard expressed is that this is going to embolden China to uh, take a move on Taiwan. Uh, but, uh, but this commentary you've given us today may suggest they may hesitate as a result of what's going on. Well, I think very much so. Think about it for a second. Look, if if Putin had succeeded really quickly, um, then, well, look, look, Putin did this in, in Ukraine. The world didn't really care. We can do the same thing with Taiwan. Mm-hmm. However, look how difficult it's proving to be for Putin. 
Putin doesn't have to move his troops across a sea in order to get there. Uh, he just rolls the tanks in from three sides. The Chinese don't have that option. Number two, look how hard the Ukrainians are fighting. Does anyone think the Taiwanese are not going to fight as hard against the Chinese? communists or however they want to define themselves right and three the taiwanese are preparing for a chinese invasion for 70 years right so if i'm taiwan if i'm china at the moment i'm saying hmm this is turning out to be awfully costly for the russian army and we don't have you know this sort of defense agreements that exist with taiwan and the promise of support um so i'm not rushing to invade taiwan anytime soon let's put it that way I'll mm. try to pressure them economically and see if that'll work, you know. Let, let, let's go in that direction much more. You know, irony so. just defines the universe. It's just unbelievable to me to how these outcomes actually are counterintuitive in so many ways. Let's, back to uh, what's happening in Ukraine right now. One possible strategy might be just to cut off all supply lines, just surround Kiev, uh, and uh, I've heard it pronounced Kiev now, so... but. Uh, and uh, just wait out the uh, victory. In other words, the uh, Russians just uh, not take on the uh, Ukrainians, but simply surround them and uh, not fight. Any comments? I mean, that's obviously one possibility, but think about it. You, can you think about the siege of Leningrad. It took a year, right, mm -hmm. until the siege was broken. Can you see the worldwide headlines and what will go on in the world? The siege of Kiev enters its 55th day with Russian troops surrounding, trying to starve the population of two and a half million to death. It doesn't work. Yeah, so the... the in this the, world. The, uh, the world of uh, the popular opinion could actually... That's so interesting how, what a role that that could play in uh, terms of Putin's future in Russia. Just... Absolutely. But look, look, look at what the role of uh, public opinion played in Europe just now in this last two days. I mean, part of the reason these... European countries did the things they did was because of their popular opinion. Half a million people were in the streets of Berlin yesterday. Similar numbers were in Prague. Almost all the main European capitals saw hundreds of thousands of people demonstrating for Ukraine. Yeah. You know, uh, the Russian, or I should say in Germany, they've decided to uh, dust off the plants with the nuclear plants and maybe consider elongating the life of them. And that just seems to me to be a play to understand that they're going to have some problems with energy going forward. Can you comment at all, why is it that we're so obstreperous about uh, using the uh, oil and energy supplies that we have in here in the United States in the face of what's going on? Well, first of all, I don't think we've, you know, look, understand something. Um, by and large, we're energy independent mm -hmm. um, and have been for about six years, seven years. Um, we, you know, this has been two weeks going on or, or a week. I think you'll see some changes, obviously, in our policy going forward in the next uh, in the next couple of months. I don't think you'll see something. I mean, we won't see something instantly. And the balance is going to have to be, you know, at the same time today, the UN reported that the effects of climate change are happening much quicker than were expected. So you're going to have a balancing act. I think you're going to see more oil exploration. I think you're going to see more fracking taking place. Obviously, fracking is also a factor of the price of oil. With the oil as high as as it is right now, there's going to be an economic incentive to to increase fracking. Mm -hmm. um, so it's going to be a it's going to be a balance uh, more than anything else. Um, we've you know we, we um, we've uh, allowed oil out of the reserve out of our strategic reserves to try to keep the price down to some extent. That's going to be very hard to do at this point. Um, but look, there's a realization. 
is realization we need to, to, for the medium term, need to totally isolate Russia. Our goal has to be the removal of Putin from office. It's quite clear at this point that has to be the goal of sanctions. That has to be the goal of all the actions we're taking because the man is very, very dangerous. That's so interesting. So it's not simply having withdrawal. It's getting him, uh, actually removing him from the leadership of the Russian uh, uh, government. I think clearly. We clearly, look, the man, you know, lied in the face of everybody, right? Yeah. Uh, he lied for the last two weeks before the invasion. Oh, we're not going to do it. No, all we want is this slide. Very simply. Uh, diplomats lied. Lavrov, completely total liar. No one should ever meet with Lavrov again. Yeah. Um, but you know, but, I, I read the uh, I read the uh, autobiography of Henry Adams, and what that pointed out, and this goes goes back to colonial times, of course. But what it points out is that everybody lies on the international stage. <laughs> they they just there's don't. There's some truth to that, but it's a little less so. A little less so these days when you can catch those lies on camera and play it back. Yeah. You know, back then it was you know, oh, I didn't really say that. Well, now <laughs> you didn't really say that. You know, and boom, so, here you are saying so interesting. It's much more difficult to lie and keep it up. So much more to talk about, Mark, and so many other things going on in the world. But uh, really, uh, Ukraine is sucking all the information air out of the uh, system. So I just well, more than that, it's it's the single most important event, for better or for worse, uh, that's taken place in the last at least at least ten years, if not longer. Absolutely, Mark Schumann. Again, I gotta just remind you the his, the uh, website is historycentral.com. Check it out; really interesting. Historycentral.com. Mark, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Bob. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with uh, Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate courtyard garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean dining room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor.
Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, proudly building a 44,000-square-foot performing arts center in downtown Naples. It's going to be fantastic, but also currently bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can get tickets now by visiting the website, gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg. Right now we have with us Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Larry, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. Thank you, Larry. Tell us about the Foundation for Economic Education. Okay. We are headquartered in Atlanta, Georgia. Our focus is on high school and college students all over the country and abroad. We try to inspire and educate them on ideas of individual liberty, private property, free enterprise, and personal character. Our website is feefee.org, where you'll see daily fresh uh, commentary and content as well as uh, free videos and courses and a wealth of other material. Terrific organization. I've been to national conferences for the Foundation for Economic Education. I'm just thrilled to see the uh, enthusiasm for young people over the rule of law, personal responsibility, and uh, uh, personal freedom. It's It's a wonderful thing to see. I encourage, if you have a young person in your life, high school or college age, encourage them to visit the website feefee.org. Larry, you wrote a great piece on Carter Woodson, the man whose work inspired Black History Month. Maybe you can tell us about it. Okay. Carter Woodson, uh, Bob, was the son of freed slaves. Mm. He was born in Virginia in 1875. He grew up working in the coal mines of West Virginia. Uh, You can't get much more humble in terms of your beginnings than what Carter Woodson experienced. And yet he went on through hard work uh, to earn an undergraduate degree from Berea College in Kentucky, followed by graduate degrees from the University of Chicago and Harvard. Hmm. He died in 1950, but uh, he set a record. He was the first child of slave parents to earn a Ph.D. in the United States. And in his case... It was in history and from Harvard. Most of his academic career, he taught at Howard University in Washington, D.C., but he also taught high school in West Virginia and even supervised a school in the Philippines. And it was when he started a Black History Week to focus attention on the experiences of black Americans that the beginnings of what we now celebrate as Black History Month began. Which I'll remind our listeners, today is the last day of Black History Month, February being the uh, Black History Month. He, was, he dedicated his life to educating others and to good quality education. That's right. And he was a first-rate historian himself. Uh, his um, teaching skills were legendary, and he really sought to uh, open up uh, a major aspect of American history that had been long ignored uh, until uh, Carter Woodson came along when American history was taught in classrooms across the country. It typically left out uh, very much mention at all of uh, the experiences of black people. And uh, he didn't want black history to be taught as a way to sow division. He just thought it would uh, uh, enhance our understanding of the total American experience. And he, he wasn't into victimology either. He, he didn't want black history to be taught uh, to accentuate uh, victims or villains, that kind of thing. He just wanted uh, 
history to be taught in a way that didn't leave anybody out because of their color. Yeah, so interesting. In fact, uh, you end your column with the notion that uh, he says that he looks forward to the day when uh, there isn't a need for Black History Week or Black History Month that uh, because of uh, realizing, I guess, Martin Luther King's dream. Exactly. He really meant it when he said that uh, we should be colorblind, and he was uh, not an advocate of using Black History Month to accentuate the differences between the races. In fact, uh, another black historian who passed away just a few years ago, uh, John uh, Hope Franklin, uh, he famously uh, received many speaking invitations, but he made a habit out of respect for Carter Woodson. Uh, John Hope Franklin made a habit of never accepting a speaking engagement in the month of February, only in the other 11 months of the year, hmm. and that was out of deference to uh, the wishes of Carter Woodson uh, to speed up the day when uh, we would not think of history in terms of race. So interesting. And again, uh, his notion, too, if, if I'm not mistaken, he also focused on helping people, not necessarily just pouring facts into people, in other words, like propaganda, but, but more wanting to help people learn how to think. That's right. He didn't think that education was uh, the business of, of pouring stuff into uh, open, empty heads. He thought that what we should do as educators is to inspire young people to think on their own. And he would not be, if he were around today, he would not be an advocate of what uh, Jesse Owens, the great athlete, called black think, which is the notion that uh, you should think certain things simply based upon your color instead of thinking things through for yourself. Uh, Carter Woodson really felt that the individual was what was important regardless of his color, and he should learn how to think and think for himself. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, uh, that also would be a critique of uh, what's happening in school boards across the country right now. <laughs> yes, it would, unfortunately, but that's why I think uh, the wisdom of Carter Woodson is something that more people should pay attention to today. Absolutely. I just encourage our listeners to go to fee.org, F-E-E.org. Take a look at the Larry's column, uh, Carter Woodson, the man's uh, whose work inspired Black History Month. Fee.org, F-E-E.org. Larry, really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Bob. Thank you. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg. Jim is a former Barron's Washington Bureau chief. Uh, he's also the author of a couple, he retired a couple years ago. He's uh, author of a couple of murder mysteries, both uh, located in Washington, D.C. The first is Follow the Leader, and its sequel is Shake the Money Tree. So we're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, You'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. 
Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The confident retirement approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. We have with us Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. He's written several books. His latest two are great murder mysteries. Follow the Leader and its sequel, Shake the Money Tree. Jim, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure, Bob. Thanks for visiting. Always a pleasure, Jim. We're going into the State of the Union address. Uh, of course, I, I started the show by suggesting that Donald Trump already gave the State of the Union address at the CPAC meeting in Florida. But that said, the president's giving his State of the Union address on, on uh, Tuesday night. What are your thoughts? Yeah, my mind is um, fixated right now on 1996. And the reason is a young president named Bill Clinton gave a State of the Union address, and he said the era of big government is over. He was smart in other ways, Jim. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was shocking. That really um, upset his own party. I, 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 it, it, it was just a, a brilliant statement. So tomorrow night, we have uh, President Biden's first State of the Union. It should be very consequential. Hmm. Uh, you know, what I would hope to see, what I'm looking for. Uh, will he try to unite this factionalized country mm-hmm. by moving to the center, where he promised during the election he would be? Mm-hmm. Um Will he be able to psychologically prepare the American public for the sacrifices ahead? What, you know, the pocketbook sacrifices that are a consequence of uh, what I call a warm war with Russia. Mm-hmm. And, uh, for example, um, I read someplace this morning at the price of experts say because of the uh, the, the disruption of uh, wheat supplies from the Ukraine and Russia, 
the price of bread in American supermarkets could increase by 50%. Yeah. So, so we're look, we're looking at, uh, you know, I like to buy uh, designer breads, which sell for close to $6 now. So, so we're talking $9 a loaf for bread. Yeah. I mean, uh, we're talking about probably $6 a gallon for gasoline. Is the American public uh, united enough and, 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 disciplined enough to swallow that kind of uh, sacrifice. Um, uh, take a step back, Jim. I, you know, I can't help but think about the polls when you're making these comments. And the question is, does he have the credibility in the, you know, from the American people to trust what he's saying, even irrespective of whether he tries to unify or not? Um. Well, yeah, that's, that's true. He's so low in the polls that you wonder if anybody will even tune in to listen. Mm -hmm. um, now, I suspect that he's, he's uh, too dense to move to the center, that he'll be um, anxious to please uh, Bernie Sanders' wing of the party, yeah. the lefties. So, for example, I mean, it's, you read all the newspapers, even papers like the New York Times, and people are saying, hey, wait a minute. Uh, this green energy stuff—it's you know—it's—it's you know—it's really a, a nice uh, goal, but look how premature it is for us to try to move uh, the American economy into a green economy. We're totally unprepared. Yeah. Uh, and, and will will Biden acknowledge this tomorrow night? I don't think so. But to your point, I think he has a huge opportunity to address questions on Americans' minds right now, including what are we going to do about energy, inflation. There's just a number of issues at uh, Ukraine. So he has an opportunity to address these issues. The question is, he, t I think he, to this point, I, I just see him as being tone deaf. I wonder if he'll even take into consideration the concerns of American people. Yeah, uh, uh, I don't think so. I agree with you that he's tone deaf. I, I hope that I am surprised. Uh -huh. I do too. I, I really hope for a positive uh, outcome because, um, you know, we really need um, strong leadership right now. And, uh, you know, it, it, Americans of uh, both political parties should have a reason to unite behind the president right. in, this, in this effort. And let's hope that he, he, acknowledges that and gives everybody a good reason for jumping on the uh, Joe Biden foreign policy train right now. So I, to my, you know, I, I have to admit that I've wondered, has he uh, postured and preened about this whole Ukraine thing because of his problems domestically and he's trying to change the scent to what's happening internationally? No. I mean, it's a real... No, I know, I know it's real, but his, his approach to it uh, you know, could have been different. There's a number of ways that he could have uh, approached this. But the way he's approached it is basically to, uh, I think, really uh, do a lot of saber rattling. And, and uh, well, not, I don't know. My thought is that uh, I just wonder if he's just not really pleased to have something like this come along. Well, no, it's a course correction. I mean, he was, America was perceived as weak because of its uh, the disarray in which it left Afghanistan. Right. And so this is a course correction. And he has to project strength. Mm -hmm. So I don't think he's overacting. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I think he's, uh, you know, doing 
uh, what needs to be done. Having said that, he's not convincing ROIs. I mean, if you read um, op-ed pieces from around the world, the underlying message is uh, we can't really depend on the United States to ride like the cavalry to our rescue. Right. Uh, we have to become more self-sufficient. So there were editorials uh, like that, reflecting that sentiment in Japan this weekend. Uh, Germany is reflecting that with its increased spending on uh, NATO. Uh, you hear it from countries around the world. So Europe is projecting strength. Uh, Europe has become united. And the president uh, wants to be part of that movement. But like I, so he, he still has some convincing to do. So it takes, uh, you know, it'll take strong rhetoric. And I don't think he's trying to distract from domestic failures. I, he's trying to um, course correct yeah. And uh, put the United States back in the driver's seat. All right. So, Jim, before I let you go, I do. <laughs> you're a financial guy, and uh, whereas Barron's Washington Bureau Chief, you're Washington Bar uh, Barron's Washington Bureau Chief back in the day, a couple of year, just a couple of years ago. Financial markets, any comments? Yeah, this is the most confusing period I've seen in my entire life. Hmm. Uh, I tell people, you know, don't panic and, and pull money out of the markets. Uh, but expect expect a roller coaster ride between now and Labor Day uh, with some huge corrections. You know, you just have to close your eyes. As a midterm elections approach, I believe that the markets will rally because it will become evident that Republicans are going to take control of the Congress and are perceived as better for uh, business and free enterprise than the Democrats. So, so I think. Uh, you know, all the stomach ulcers you get between now and Labor Day will be worth it. <laughs> you know, once once the market uh, reacts favorably for a, a Republican wave in Congress. Yeah, has the uh, has the era or the time for commodities, including gold, has it come? You know, uh, throughout my career, I've always been burned in gold and oil. Um, my investment philosophy is it's either the end of the world or it isn't. You know, so I don't think it's the end of the world. Uh, I see flight capital coming into the U.S. into U.S. securities. So I think U.S. securities, you know, good companies are as good as gold because of that flight capital. You know, we are still a stable nation, uh, one of a law and our markets are strong. So, you know, I'm, I'm not ready to abandon stocks for commodities. So interesting. Jim McTagg, again, take a look at the two great murder mysteries. Really enjoyed them both. Of course, I grew up in Washington, D.C., and it meant even more to me as a result. But the, the names of the books are uh, Follow the Leader and Shake the Money Tree. Jim McTagg, uh, capital M-C, capital T-A-G-U-E. Jim, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for inviting me. My pleasure indeed, Jim. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, tomorrow, we're going to visit with Kathleen Pasadomo, our state senator. We'll find out what's new with Boo Mortensen. Boo will be with us. Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. And my wife, Linda, will join us. Always appreciate her commentary. She follows social media so uh, carefully, including Telegram and some of the other webs, Getter and these others, and uh, always has an interesting slant on what's happening around the world. 
Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com, bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.